0: Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Audio Podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we continue a few weeks of having in special guest speakers. Uh, This will actually be the second time for this guest speaker this month. This is Doug Anderson, who will be delivering a message called Working in the Spirit. Doug is the National Coordinator for the Vineyard Movement and a good friend of ours, and has uh, visited North Shore Vineyard on a few occasions over the last year since we got kicked off. This message is from July 24th, and this this message, Doug, is going to attempt to tackle the topic of work. What does it mean to work? So, uh, in, in kind of Christian terms, working by the Spirit. You're going to enjoy this one, so uh, without further ado, let's head over to North Shore Vineyard in downtown Covington. Be sure to check us out on the web at NorthShoreVineyard.org, and thanks for listening. Doug Anderson. Uh, Well,
1: anyway, it's always good being here with you guys. Uh, It's kind of cool getting to come a little more regular so that I... The faces are familiar, and, and I love the worship. It's great. So uh, today, I, I want to deal with something that may be a little bit different than what you normally hear or have heard. I, I want to deal with our view of our work in light of the kingdom of God. And I, I mean work, like what you do day in and day out, what kind of jobs you have. Um, how many of you have ever heard a message on your your work and how it relates to the kingdom of God? Or so few of you, yeah, not too many though, right? I mean, it's not, not something you hear a lot. I'm glad everybody didn't raise their hand. I'd mess up my introduction. Um, I, you just don't see it dealt with a lot. I mean, you see all kinds of stuff about, you know, what what to do, you know, when you're not working. I mean, we have this thing in the church. It's kind of like a, uh, sometimes it can be really, like, church-centric. hope I'm not messing anything up here. But, uh, uh, you know, it's all about, when we 're gathered you know when when we 're together when uh, what we're doing with the church, but the church is just as much a church when we're sent out as it is when we 're gathered I mean it takes both to for it to work and and I think that's a real interesting concept to to get a hold of, but to really get a hold of it we've got to kind of uh, develop a theology of work, if I could use that term and those of you that are theology averse uh it just means you know the way we think about work in light of uh, God And so, uh, so, you know, if you look over the course of human history, there's been three main eras of human work. Uh, there's been the agricultural era, era which has taken most, uh, most of human history. We've been in the agricultural era. And then uh, in the um, 19th century, we transitioned into what they called the industrial era, and, and then uh, now we've transitioned into a third major category of, of work in the information era. And, you know, each of these eras drastically changed the way we view uh, our work. You know, it wasn't really that long ago that we were still a very agricultural society. Anybody grow up on a farm? One, one and a half. Okay, good. Uh um, but, it, you know, until the turn of the 20th century, there are more agricultural workers in the United States than any other type of worker. Then uh, uh, about 1900, about the turn of the century, it shifted where there was more industrial workers than any other kind of worker. But then in less than a century, actually, by, by 1960, there was more information workers than any other kind of worker in the United States. And uh, actually today... Uh, less than 3% of the population produce 100% of uh, the re- our required agricultural need. Um, now, a lot of this has to do with uh, machinery and, you know, efficiency and all of that. But over 60% of our population have information jobs. <laughs> so uh, you can see there's been major shifts. And So uh, I- I'm kind of going through this quickly as kind of a backdrop because, you know, before the 18th century, to be, uh, it was the person that had access to the most land and best agricultural methods that was the most successful. Then, uh, with the Industrial Revolution, it was the person with the best machinery or the most capital or the most efficient methods that became the most successful. And then now... um, in the, actually in the last 50 years, the person with the most creative way to provide access to information has become the most successful. It's not so much having the information, it's how we provide. Just think about Facebook and Google. You know, it, It's not like that information wasn't out there. It's just the creative way they've structured it to provide that information that has made uh, them so successful. And so, actually some have said that with this rapid and uh, drastic shift in how we work uh, that we're experiencing right now, that we're actually experiencing a crisis of work. Uh, And what they mean by this is where people tend to kind of have a negative attitude towards their work along with a deep dissatisfaction with the type of work they're doing. And you might just want to do a little self-check there, you know. What about you? What about you? Do you like what you're doing? Do you find a deep satisfaction? You don't have to answer to me, but I mean, just think about it. Do uh, you look forward to work? Is it drudgery? Is it joy? You know, that type of thing. Some have actually said that the farther that we get away from a connection to the land or working the land, the less satisfaction we experience in our work. And uh, that's not where I'm going in my message, but I think it's an interesting thing. I, I, I know uh, lately I've renewed an interest in woodworking, and there's just something about, you know, being a person that grew up with an information job and then uh, pastoring, there's just something about getting your hands dirty and feeling the earthy stuff like wood that, I don't know, it just makes me feel close to God, you know. Uh, Jesus was a carpenter. Okay, we're not going there. Uh, but really this whole dissatisfaction thing, it's, it's not a new thing at all. Um, let's, I want to look at a passage in Ecclesiastes which was written a long, long time ago. And we kind of see this same crisis of work thing happening. Uh, I want to read a passage starting uh, of the 17th verse in the second chapter of Ecclesiastes. And uh, this is written by King Solomon. Um, And so, you know, here's here's King Solomon. He's got everything, right? Everything going for him. He says, so I hated life. (laughs) What a great way to start off with that. (laughs) So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. And then here comes the question of the day. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? It's a question I want us to ask ourselves today. What does a man get for all the toil? All his days, his work, is pain and grief... Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. Anybody have those kind of nights? <laughs> it's a depressing message there. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So I'm done. Be encouraged with these words. Okay. Well, let's take a look at some uh, some things I think that lead towards this crisis of work, uh, because Christians aren't immune from this same crisis. But there's reasons for that, and I kind of want to give us a. Uh, uh, look at it a different way, a different perspective. But before we do that, let's look at some commonly held myths that are out there about working. Uh, one is is what I'm calling the myth of the curse. Um, I, I know I grew up thinking this, maybe you did too, but there's a common belief that the reason we have to work today is a consequence or a punishment because of our sin against God in the Garden of Eden. You know, the punishment was was work. Because of our sin, we were banished from the garden and sentenced to a life of hard labor. Anybody ever hear of that one? Mm-hmm. You know uh, That's why we're all working now, because you know we, we, we sinned. Uh, and so this view of work is that work is a curse resulting from our sin. Well, how can you have a good attitude about work if, you, if it's a curse? Uh, so that's one myth that I, I'm going to try to dispel a little bit today. Uh, another myth that is commonly held is that there's two levels of work or vocation. There's the sacred and the secular. This is kind of a dualism that works out there. Uh, and, and here you've got like pastors, missionaries, church planters, church workers, etc. You know, these people have been especially called by God and put on a special sacred mission, and therefore their work is filled with meaning and significance. I ran into this, you know, because I worked in the computer industry for 10 years before I... I, I went to work as a church planter full-time, and uh, I just remember the responses of people, oh, that's great that you're going to do something significant and meaningful with your life, like what I've been doing, you know, which was just wasting my time. Uh, but, it, you know, it's so interesting, you know, as I made that transition. And, and so, you know, these people are on a special sacred mission, and then the rest of the rest of the people are simply left to the drudgery of mundane secular employment, you know, in order to at least provide food and shelter for our families and at best provide a very comfortable lifestyle. And uh, so we have this thing working out there where there's there's two, view, two different views of there's those that are called and then those that just have to work. And, uh, you know, along these same lines, we developed the idea that like I was saying a while ago, all spiritual work is done by the church or on behalf of the church. But all other work, there really isn't that spiritual at all. It's secular, and God's not really involved in that. He's he's involved in this other stuff. So we have the myth of the called, and then the third myth I want to uh, look at, and and we'll be dealing with this today is, is I'm calling the myth of cessation, um, which. It's kind of a commonly held belief that work is only a means to an end, and the end is to not work. Right? We work so that we don't have to work. You know, if we work and we do a good job, then work will cease. Uh, we work so that we can play. We work so that we can enjoy the weekend. We spend a lifetime working so that we can spend the end of our days not working in retirement. We anticipate heaven so that we can spend an eternity not working you know, we even calling it, call it entering into what? Rest. Eternal rest, you know? It's the ultimate spiritual couch potato in heaven <laughs> sitting back and watching this huge big screen. You know, these the pictures. I and mean, we get up and play the harp a little bit and then lay back down. You know, just it's all there. So the question is, what are we working for? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question or whether we're just on autopilot but what what why is it what what do you do why are you doing what you do day in and day out when you get up tomorrow morning and you go do whatever you do why are you doing that <laughs> what does a man get for all this toil that we're doing are you, are you doing it for money well hopefully you're getting paid but you know some have vocations that there's not a payment the way we think about, at least maybe not in money. Or maybe you're doing it for satisfaction or fulfillment. Or maybe you're doing it like we talked before so that you can have leisure. Um, Maybe you're doing it so that you can have a good retirement. But, you know, as I I think about this, I've thought about this a lot over life. We, We have this thing where our kids are born. Actually, we start teaching them calculus in the womb. You you know, we, we, we really want to pour into our kids so young. Why? Well, so that they can have a fighting chance at school and make good grades and be above average students. Why? Well, so that they can get into college, a good college. Well, why? Well, so they can get a good job, so that they can advance, so that they have enough money to retire, so that, what so that what so that our kids can have a good life and our kids kids so that then they go through that cycle and then what you know i mean still depressing right okay what does a man toil for all his years or is there some other reason for work hopefully (laughs) is there something else that gives us meaning in what we put our hands to some of the questions we might ask ourselves as we um, take a look at this is uh, how does our work bring us into closer contact with the character and purposes of God? You know, do, do you experience God in your work? Can we connect what we do for a living or how we spend our time with God's kingdom and His purposes? You know, I've noticed that one of the most miserable places a person can be Is when they don't know what they're made for. They haven't figured that out yet, and therefore don't know what they should be doing with their life. Um, And so when we're like this, we just end up being without knowing why or for what purpose we're being. (laughs) Um, Can our secular work have sacred or spiritual purposes? You know, how do we sanctify our work? How do we, in other words, how do we make our work holy? Um, does our work only become spiritual when we do something overtly religious like witness to people or hold a Bible study at work or something like that? Is, that? is that the only time it can become spiritual? Or is there something of spiritual value just in the work we do itself? That's a good question. Let me know if you guys get answers to any of these because I, I don't have a clue. No. <laughs> uh, can we find God's purpose... In whatever level of work we do, whether it's a longshoreman or a CEO, a laborer or a manager, uh, a house spouse or a business owner. When I was coming up, it was pretty much a housewife, so that's why I kind of changed that. But uh, I, don't know if, I don't think this question gets asked as much anymore because we got smarter, but I know some of you will remember, oh, do you work or do you stay, stay at home? You remember that? Yeah, I learned real early not to ask that anymore. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like, well, I actually do a lot of work. I do stay at home. but the, um, This one guy, Tom Gardner, said this. He says, the society that scorns excellence in plumbing because plumbing is a humble activity and tolerates shoddiness in philosophy because philosophy is an exalted activity will neither have good plumbing or good philosophy. Neither will hold water. So, you know, we also kind of have this dualism and, you know, these are noble jobs and these are lowly jobs, you know. Um, Well, how does our relationship with Jesus affect our work? How does it affect the quality of our work? How does it affect the way we do it? Does our work reflect the glory of God? And if so, how? Well, the Bible has a whole lot to say about this, a whole lot more than what I can deal with this morning. I I just want to, like, skim the surface so that you'll go out of here, you know, scratching your head and forced to think about these things, uh, at least for the... over lunch. At least over lunch, you know, if not longer (laughs) than that. Um, But one of the things the Bible makes really clear is that we're made in the image of God, right? So, you know, I know that's a whole series of messages right there. Um, But God is a worker. I mean, if you you just go through the Bible and... Look at all the metaphors for God that have to do with the way he works. You know, he's a sculptor, he's a creator, all all these things. And God works and he created us to be workers like him. It's part of being made in his image. So one thing we can kind of glean from that is that he has called each of us to be workers. He's called us to be workers. Um... You know, we were workers like God before and, before and after our sin in the garden. It wasn't just after our sin that we began to work. God gave us the garden and gave us work to do. He, he created us as workers. It wasn't just as a punishment because of our sin. The story of God in the Bible <clears throat> and His relationship with His creation paints a picture of wor- work much more fascinating than just a sentence of hard labor. You know, I mean, it's a lot more interesting when we look at it with the, those lenses, you know. God, God fills each of us with unique abilities and gifts and calls us to creatively use them to help His purposes here on the earth. Actually, work ordained by God is what He, he uses to weave together the very fabric of our identity, and then He fulfills it in us. He gives us, he calls us, and then He does it through us. So, w- w- we kind of need to ask the question, what, what is work? What is work? I mean, if we're going to talk about uh, work as it relates to the kingdom of God, we need to understand what work is itself. And some of the, some of the issues I think we need to look at in order to get a good handle on what, what is work Um, There's several things I just want to put out here that are issues to look at. One is just the whole thing of, um, you know, work in terms of our identity. The whole issue of to be or to do. I know this is getting like deep philosophy stuff. But is work our identity? Well, no, it's not. And when when we make it our identity, we kind of get messed up. Uh, You know, we put our identity in the wrong place. Do we have to do something in order to be something? <laughs> Isn't it enough just to be? You know, and w- what we're getting at here is, is uh, do we have to do things in order to uh, receive and get the, the, the favor of our Heavenly Father? It's kind of like, do we have to impress Him? Do we? Is there something we have to do to get His attention and His respect? Or can we just be who He created us to be? And that's a big question. Um and I think what happens is that we find our identity in who we are in God without doing anything. We, we, we connect with God. We find out there, we just have to be who He created us to be and understand that. It's be still and know that He is God. And we connect there and we find out what He's made us for. But then once we know who we are, then we know what we're made to be and to do. I mean, once we, once we get connected with God and find out what He's made us for, then we're empowered to do the things He created us for. So you can't really divorce doing with being totally. It's more like the cart and the horse. We do because we are made in the image of God, the doer. Now, great philosophers have wrestled with this issue for years. Actually, Plato said, to be is to do. His, his uh, student, Aristotle, said, well, he flipped it. He said, to do is to be. But I think the great philosopher, Frank Sinatra, is the one that got it right. When he said, do be, do be, do... <laughs> in that order. So uh, another thing is this whole thing about toil. Is work toilsome or is it joyful? Toil or delight? Actually, the Bible tells us that it, it wasn't work that was part of the curse as a result of our sin against God in the Garden of Eden. It was toil in work. It wasn't work itself. It was the hardness. It was the toil. Uh, It was the lack of grace in work that was the result of our sin, not work itself. And this is where we kind of get it wrong. It's kind of like, you know, we talk about money being the root of all evil. We forget that part. No, it's the love of money. It's like work isn't the curse. It's the toil in the work that was part of the curse. But like in all other areas, Jesus' death on the cross broke the power of that curse. And so our relationship with God and becoming like him takes the toil out of our work, and causes us to delight in what we do just like He does. And we can be like Him. We can stand back and admire our work and say, oh, it's good. Just like God did. I mean, do, do you get that enjoyment from your work? Whatever it is you do, are you able to stand back and look at those zeros and ones and, oh, that's good? You know? Or, Do you remember uh, the movie Chariots of Fire? I can't remember the guy's name in real life. That was the runner. uh, James something? Anyway. Yeah, thank you. Uh, You remember when he said, uh, I feel God's pleasure when I run? I think that's the idea of what God wants. Why? Because he was made for that. And when he did what he was made for, he just felt the delight and the pleasure of God. And my question is, do we experience that in the work that we're doing? No matter what it is. Well, another issue that we get confused sometimes is the whole faith and works thing because uh, we, we, we get confused with the idea that we can't work our way to heaven, of course, and we don't become Christians or righteous by good works. And, of course, this is true, but that doesn't mean that we don't do good works. We just don't do them in order to get God's favor. Once we experience God's favor, we're empowered to do the works that He does, which are good. <laughs> My grandmother used to have this plaque on her wall that, I don't know, it just kind of stuck with me, you know. And it said, It's not faith or works. It's not faith and works. It's faith that works. And I thought, Yeah, that's it. I think that's why James, in the book of James, said, Faith without works is dead, right? Because. Real faith works. You can actually see it. Um, another issue is, is, and ultimately I think maybe, maybe the most uh, important, the most vital issue in us figuring out this whole thing of work in the kingdom of God is creation or new creation. You know, as we read the accounts surrounding creation in Genesis, we see that God created man to work. He uniquely fitted them and commanded them to care for creation. There's all those passages about subdue the earth and and uh, you know name the animals, work the soil, all these things. Um, so one could say that we work because of a God given mandate given to us at creation, and and this is true. But for us today, it's an incomplete Old Testament perspective. If we just stay there with God gave us this mandate at creation, I think we just get part of the part of the picture. Because when Jesus came and announced the coming of the kingdom of God, and he said as a part of that the heavens and the earth will one day be recreated, it totally transformed why we do what we do. It totally transformed our mission and it totally transforms our work. Whereas before we worked because of creation, now as followers of Jesus, we work inspired and gifted by the Holy Spirit to participate with God as co-laborers in His new creation as He renews the earth. And just like everything else in the kingdom of God, there's the already and the not yet. And we're tasting today what the new heavens and the new earth will be like as we experience this kingdom. And that happens just as much in the workplace as it does in church. Or doing ministry. And and if you haven't had thoughts like that, it's really interesting to start thinking about. I mean, reread the book of Revelation if if you haven't gained this perspective. But it pretty much is a, a vision of what a renewed heaven and earth is going to look like. It talks about the holy city of Jerusalem coming down to earth. You know, this whole thing, instead of us going somewhere, wherever, it's going to be a whole new, recreated, renewed thing. Actually, uh, our view of the future has everything to do with how we view our work and how meaningful it is. I grew up with a mindset and an understanding, and I, I know how I got it, that there would be, the earth would be just totally destroyed. Therefore, we're wasting our time, it's like chasing after the wind, uh, to do anything significant here on this earth. You know, it's the whole, the world is not my home, I'm just passing through. You know, it's just kind of like, it's just a stopping off point. It's a means to something else. When we have this perspective, uh, mundane work has no earthly significance. In the end, it's all vain. It's kind of like the guy from Ecclesiastes. Work has no eternal significance or purpose. It's whatever we do here and then that's it. And, and that's the mindset that I was talking about where we, you know, we go to school, we get a good job, we do this, and it's like, and then what? It's all for what? Why would we do all that when it's just going to all burn up? But if our perspective is that the earth will be recreated and renewed, a new heavens and a new earth, And work becomes very significant as we partner with God in the renewing of the earth. I mean, it's part of doing the works of the kingdom. And so our work has significant eternal purposes, especially if we learn to connect our work with the kingdom of God and what God's doing, and we can see that connection. So with these kind of things, these issues as a backdrop, how do we answer the question, what is work? it's got to be more than just work is whatever we do to live or survive, right? But that's our default. We kind of default into that, w- whatever it takes to live or survive, that, that's work. And I'm not going to, like, uh, give you a definition of work this morning. I, I'm giving you the, the questions to ask so that you can develop that for you. Uh, but there's a couple definitions that I like that I want to throw out there that I've read. Uh, there's a guy named Miroslav Volf who I like to read and uh, he talks about reshaping the world in light of the promised new creation. You know, ha- how does what you do, whether you're a plumber or a CEO, help reshape the world in light of the promised new creation? That's a great exercise to do. Uh, Frederick Buchner, I really like his, his perspective. He says, work is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. What is it that you do that's that helps people, helps the world, makes it better? So, how does work look different from a kingdom perspective? Well, one is this whole thing of, of sacred calling. When we look at it from this perspective, the kingdom of God makes all of our work a sacred calling. It's not just some are set apart and the rest of us are are just have to do the old secular employment thing. Uh, Gene Veith said... The priesthood of all believers did not make everyone into church workers. Rather, it turned every kind of work into a sacred calling. <laughs> every kind of work into a sacred calling. It means that we work in the Spirit. What time are you guys in? Ten? Okay, good. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, Okay, oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't. So, you know, if you guys need to leave, go ahead. I'm going to keep preaching to myself. Uh, so it means we work in the Spirit. This is such an awesome perspective. I mean, don't we have that, this mindset that, yeah, we do things in the Spirit when we go to home group or we go to church or we're ministering. But do you work in the Spirit at work? You know, Christian work's not just the work we do in church. It's done under the inspiration of the Spirit and in the light of the coming new creation. Spiritual gifts are not just for a church. They're just as much for our work. When I was in high school and in, in college over here in Hammond, I met a guy that was a bricklayer. And uh, he used to be a Pentecostal preacher. And uh, he planted churches all throughout the South and just kind of was driven in this system that ended up being uh, very imprisoning to him. There was not freedom. There was no joy in his work, even though he was doing God's work. And so he kind of left it all behind and became a bricklayer. I've never met anybody that was so spirit-filled in his bricklaying, or in his work, for that matter. Well, anyway, uh, I worked for him as a bricklayer's assistant off and on uh and just watching him the delight that he would get out of his work i kind of think there's a lot of homes that have like the holy spirit in the bricks that are it's exuding from there because this guy he was just full of joy he would be singing and it was there was something just in the work that he was doing he was working in the spirit uh Another thing is the whole thing of work and worship. Uh, Again, Miroslav Volf, he says, In worship, Christians anticipate the enjoyment of God in the new creation, where they will continually commune and dwell in the triune God, and the triune God will dwell in them. The Spirit inspires and gifts people not only to work, but also to enjoy festive companionship with God. I love that that quote. It, when we worship, it's it's an anticipation. It's an entering into the future new creation, and we're enjoying God. And so our work can actually be worship. <laughs> but you, you see the connection. We're we're working as part of God renewing the earth, and in that we're we're feeling His delight, and and that's worship. We may not even be singing a song or playing a guitar, (laughs) but we're worshiping. And then there's this whole thing of work and play, and this is a complimentary message. Maybe one time I'll come back and do the other half about leisure and play. Uh, But the Bible definitely calls us to learn the rhythms of work and play or leisure, but nowhere does it talk about the cessation of work. It speaks of a rest from the toil, but not from the work. The Holy Spirit takes the work out of work. <laughs> and we can rest while we work. There's a spiritual fulfillment and satisfaction that's the rest of the Holy Spirit. Our goal is not retirement. It's the fulfillment of God's purposes for us in the earth. I, I hope I don't mess you up too bad, but there, there's no concept whatsoever of retirement in the Bible. So we're saying that's evil? No. But it does make us have a different mindset. Actually, uh, the older I get, the more I think about this. But also, the more friends I have that are retired. I've never really met anyone that was totally just like retired to stop doing things that was happy. But I've seen a lot of people wrestle with their identity. They retire, and, and they don't know who they are anymore. And it's fun when that wrestling turns into a connection with, what God had made them for, and they continue to do that. Maybe just in a different type of work. Maybe it's not an employment situation, but it still works. As a matter of fact, let me just throw this in real quick. <laughs> the older I get, I think about this too. But as a society, we are doing a great disservice to our elder states people. <laughs> we, we we tend to put them out to pasture. And and the church above all should be ones that help the, these people that have gone before us and have the wisdom and the maturity to find meaningful kingdom work. And not just kind of, well, you know, you did your time, and now it's time for the youngsters to, well, yeah, it is time to invest in the youngsters. But I see this respect and honor of those that have gone before us kind of dwindling away. And those of us that are older, say what? Amen. Amen. You know. Well, the, kind of the bottom line to all this is that ultimately meaning is found by working with our Heavenly Father. We get to work with our Heavenly Father. And we join Him in His work in the world. Well, I want to kind of wrap this up by reading another passage out of Ecclesiastes The third chapter, a little bit later, starting in the ninth verse. And here's this question again. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men, this toil. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. That future, that new creation. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I mean, even the limited peak that we get at it, the taste, the little taste, doesn't even help us begin to fathom and understand how awesome it's going to be. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. (laughs) That's powerful. Not one day in the, eternal rest, but while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil or work. This is the gift of God. (laughs) I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him or men will worship him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. So let me just end by uh, asking you some questions or giving you some questions to ask yourself as you process all of this. uh, And and again, my purpose wasn't to provide you with all the answers. Actually, my purpose was to raise the questions so that you can struggle and wrestle with God about your work. That's what I hope you go at it. I mean, this is one of those... Hopefully, it's not as depressing anymore, but it's not totally satisfying either because hopefully it causes you to struggle. Because sometimes that's good. Uh, I, I actually believe prayer is more like wrestling with God than it is asking Him for things or he, just hearing Him. It's that struggle and wrestling till we get the mind of God, till we hear Him, you know. But here's some questions. Uh, how is what you do connected to God's kingdom? Can you make that connection? If not, pray about it. Wrestle with it till you can. How, do, how does what you do help others? Or renew creation, or make the earth better in some way. How are you partnering with God's work? How are you co-creating, so to speak, with God? And then, lastly, a real important one is: What you do fulfill the calling and gifting God has placed in you? Do you feel His delight in what you're doing? You know, to wrestle through and find answers to these types of questions is crucial to finding meaning in what, what you do, and really in life in general. Now, in some cases, answering these questions may cause you to realize that you're giving your time and energy to something that's not partnering with God. For instance, your job helps destroy people or destroy the earth, and, and maybe God is calling for you to change. And I'm thinking about things that jobs where there's the exploitation of humans, there's uh, human trafficking or prostitution or pornography, just to name a few. There's things that we can look at that's like, it's kind of hard to connect that with God's purposes and and the kingdom. And I'm not just talking about immoral things, but things that that, uh, are destroying people or destroying the earth. But for most of us, the answer is not to change our job. It's to change why we're doing what we're doing. You know, it's a change of heart about what we're doing and seeing what God is doing in it. And So so my prayer is that that is what God does with you. Let's stand together. I just want to pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we, we just ask that you would come and uh, work in each one of our hearts. Lord, there's some here this morning that really haven't entered into the, uh, the world of work too much yet, I pray that you would begin to prepare their hearts for what you're calling them to do. Lord, I pray that you would settle the issue of who we are in you so that what we do is on a s- secure foundation, so that we're not trying to do things in order to be something. And Lord, there's also some here that may be uh, of age that their primary employment is over. Lord, I pray that you would just give them wisdom and insight and significance and meaning with what they're doing with their life. Jesus, we know that you're not through with them here on the earth. This morning, I just pray especially for any that might be in that situation that you're Your Holy Spirit would come and just fill them with your words and your power and your grace to do what you've called them to do. And then, Lord, I pray for all of us that that you might restore the joy of work in us. Lord, let us know the delight, your delight in what we do, Father. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.